What's the meaning of life? This is a question that humanity has struggled with for thousands of years. Here at Mosaic Church, we believe that life has great meaning. We believe that the meaning of life is most profoundly discovered in the context of God's great rescue story, the Gospel. The Bible reveals to us that in the beginning of our human story, our purpose was lost when we abandoned God's story for us. In God's great love and mercy, He rescues our soul and restores our purpose, giving our lives deep, rich meaning. Yet despite this great discovery, we often live our lives in the day-to-day -day stresses and strains without experiencing the fullness of His restored purpose. This week, we have the privilege of hearing from Steve Smith, who has personally had a significant impact on my soul care as he unpacks the necessity of caring for our souls as we live out each day. Steve will help us understand why soul care matters so much as we encounter everyday unpredictable circumstances and seek to live out the gospel in them. So buckle up, Mosaic. This is life. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. I'm Steve, and this is Dustin, and we're here together to dialogue with you about the life this gift of life that uh, Jesus has come to give us. You know, what you're living right now is not a dress rehearsal. This is your life. And this is your opportunity to foster and nourish and nurture the kind of life that Jesus came to offer us through his way of living and his teaching. And so this morning, I'm excited that we can dialogue at different stages of life. I'm 60. Dustin's in his mid-30s. We have some things in common and then a lot not in common as we're both on separate journeys. So you'll get to kind of peek into our soul and let us open our hearts to you this morning. But I've got the privilege of reading the passage of Scripture to you that'll be the basis, this truth and this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning shows the heart of God, God's intent for us in this life. Some people think that God's a taskmaster, that he's just kind of driving us, that we got to make more bricks with less straw, kind of like we're still in that Egyptian phase of life, or God seems so remote to us, or God is so kingly that he's so far distant. But as you read the passage with me this morning, this is kind of like the four chambers of God's heart spoken to us through the heart of Jesus, God's son, to talk to us about this life. So let me read it for you. The text says, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are any of you burned out on this religious thing? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest as if we don't know how to do that. 
I'll even show you how to take a real rest. I want you to walk with me. I want you to work with me. I want you to watch how I do it, and then you do it. Learn the unforced rhythms. There are some rhythms to the way we should be living our life. And I want you to learn these. Assume the posture of a student. Kind of go back to school. Become that lifelong learner because the life that you're living, sometimes the wheels on the bus can come off. I'm kind of elaborating on Jesus' behalf for us. But when we're supposed to learn about rhythms, that's like a key to us. And then he says this, it's just like unbelievable. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And so a sense of heaviness or a yoke that you're wearing, if it's feeling like this is just kind of seems not right, it's just like that's not from God. Because God's heart is not to lay heaviness or something that isn't fitting for his children. We're his children. So life is not supposed to be about us walking around with a ball and chain, feeling like the answer is just to do more or do it harder or just do it tired. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And I want you to read these last words with me together out loud. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely. Oh, my word. We've messed up here. We've just messed up sometimes, and sometimes in church leadership, and churches like Mosaic, and your lifespan, your, your infancy as a church, we need to re-examine what the life is that Jesus wants us to live. And those words that he says, I really love them. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. That is such an invitation of recovery. That some things happen in life that it's hard, it's fast, there's busyness. The Chinese word for busyness made up two of their characters means heart annihilation. That's what happens with busyness. We're annihilating our heart. Monday night this, Tuesday night this, Wednesday night this, throw some french fries in the back, see, get the kids here, Thursday night this. We're always on, always available, and then technology. We're always wired. We think that that's the answer to life to be constantly available and constantly on so that we can be constantly connected. But Jesus said, no, it's not about being constantly on. I want you to get away. We don't, we don't know how to do that. It's just like, what does that mean? Is that a Japanese word, get away? No, it's a Jesus word. And to recover our life is what we want to talk to you about this morning in five different aspects of your life. That as we talk about each of these five and dialogue them from different decades and different perspectives of life, that God might so just tap you on the shoulder in this room and say, this is for you. Something's going on in one of these five categories that you need to pay attention to because I want you to recover.
I don't want you to get a C in your marriage. I want you to move towards excellence. I don't want you to get a C or a C minus or a D in terms of your personal fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment in life. I want you to move up in that grading posture. I want you to understand that goodness and mercy should be a part of our life, the prayer that Sean played. And by the way, whoever that cello guy is, I'm taking you back with me to Colorado. I just believe in Christian stealing, and he's going with me. <laughs> Amazing, wasn't it? I just love that. Oh, my goodness. So the first, abbot, the first area of life I want to talk to you about is your physical life. Your physical body. Dallas Willard has said that we are spiritual beings having an earthly existence. And your soul is housed in your tent. This is what the Bible says our bodies are. The tent, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, obviously our tents are a little different. Mine's been stretched out a bit. <laughs> and Dustin's is kind of shrinking. And... Um, we have to pay attention no matter what the form. I mean, we're not cookie cutters here, are we? But we're physically different. And I want to tell you something about serving in a church like this. Serving at a pace, working, trying to make both ends meet in life. It takes a strain on your soul and your body. It's called stress. And stress is cumulative. It means it accumulates in your life and it kind of oozes over into your marriage. You think you're just kind of siloing stress. But it's also residual. It just kind of builds up and builds up. And so when things aren't going well at work, things aren't going well in the soul. Stress. Tension with one of your children aging parents, all the way that we are just kind of sandwiching and moving so fast and so hurried. Many of us are just running our lives on empty and we're about to blow a gasket. Blowing a gasket, burning out, being tired, being worn out, or is like your soul screaming at you, give me some attention. And this is the heart of Jesus. That when we're working in church, we're not just Egyptian brickmakers having to do more with less and do it harder and harder and come on and give 110%. You don't have 110%. That's an American myth that has enculturated and been absorbed into church. We have 100%, not 110. And sometimes that yellow light in the dashboard of our car comes on and Dustin's gonna tell you about a yellow light that's come on in him. It's just like check engine. Well, first of all, we're not engines. You can't jumpstart the soul. You jumpstart a car. When the battery's dead, you put the hopefully red to the red and black to the black and you get a boost. But the soul just can't be jumpstarted. We're not machines. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not animals. We're alive people that are supposed to have a rewarding, fulfilling, beautiful part of this abundant kingdom living right now, not just in heaven. Now the kingdom has come. 
Jesus said, right now, live with kingdom values right now. And when the check engine light comes on, he can do what a friend of mine did. He just took his drill out and drilled it out of his dashboard. He's sick of looking at it. Or you can say, what's up? Dustin, tell us about the check engine light that the doctor told you about. Well, um, 17 years ago, I sensed God calling me personally into full-time ministry as a vocation, and that journey led me into pursuit of becoming a missionary pilot. And I met my wife early in that time, and we walked together through all of the training and preparation to go to Alaska, and we served in Alaska through missionary aviation, traveling all over the state. And the long story short of that is I bought into believing that I should give all I have to serve the Lord. And we did. And along the way, we bored three children, and we spoke all over the country. We traveled out to remote places. We served missionaries. It was an amazing ride. But that yellow light Steve's talking about came on a couple years ago. And I never considered that living at a high level of stress year after year, full-time, without Sabbath, without integrating any kind of rhythm of rest in my life, I never even considered that it was going to pay up someday. Let me just ask you, I'm sorry for interrupting, but the rhythm that you're talking about, the rhythm that we're going to help unpackage here this morning, had you even heard of it? Never heard of it. You're a graduate of one of the best no. Bible schools in the country. Yeah. What about Sabbath keeping? That day a week that God gives us, that Sabbath doesn't mean Sunday. That's not what it means. Shabbat means cease. Had you ever heard of that? Heard of Sabbath, but never had it been taught to me how to live it. And that it even applied to me in this New Testament era. <laughs> and so what happened? Well, let me just read to you from Isaiah. It says here, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings like eagles, and run and not grow weary, and walk and not grow faint. And I believed I was living in the run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint. And my wings were mounted and I was flying literally all over the state of Alaska. Kind of get her done life. Yeah. You're a get her done guy. But I did hit the wall and just a year and a half ago was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue syndrome and was not even able to get through one day without needing to lie down early in the evening. What is adrenal fatigue syndrome. It's basically where my adrenal glands were tapped out of supply of adrenaline. Always having to give 110%. You tap into that energy. Let's get it done. One more worship service. Let me tell you, I feel it. This is our third. Plus we talk to the elders and the deacons. It's just like, mm -hmm. I don't know, sometimes, is this crazy? Should we rethink everything? And so what have you done here about the yellow light and trying to understand what God is calling you? What is his invitation for you, Dustin, to live depleted? Well, on a practical level, I've had to change so many things and stop doing so much of what we were part of because I couldn't go on anymore. And through mentoring of Steve and others in my life, been able to rethink how to live 
every day from the time I get up till the time I go to bed and when I go to bed and what I eat and what I do midday and integrating the care of my soul into the care of my body. And it's, this is real stuff that I'm having to think about every morning throughout the day to restore my body and to not go back to that place of depletion again. And Dustin came to me after this diagnosis and he said, the doctor told me, Steve, I need to have naked sun every day. And I thought, Dustin, we're not that kind of ministry. <laughs> and so as he began to explain naked, it's just vitamin D deficiency of how God has wired us. It's just like, finally the sun has come out. I, you, we heard you were the sunshine state, but not until today did we know it. Because it's been raining here. And when, like in Alaska, living in sad, dark places, it does a number on you. There are diagnoses. So the residual, cumulative, just giving, 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 without paying attention to ceasing. Sabbath is the most quoted, most often mentioned commandment of all 10. And let me tell you something. I just want to get in your face a little bit here, okay? Because I'm flying out today. I feel more safe. You wouldn't tolerate a breaking of anything like Renault and Brooke having an affair. You, you wouldn't tolerate that. Because we're not supposed to do it. It's one of the commandments. If one of your staff members committed murder, you wouldn't tolerate that. Why are we tolerating thumbing our nose at rest? It's a commandment, the most often repeated commandment of all 10. It's as if God knew that we would just forget this and we'd go and just prove that young men don't grow weary and we can do it all in God's strength and let's go take another hill and let's go climb another mountain and let's go do this. And suddenly when you're 37 at a beautiful phase of life, kind of entering this prime, the doctor comes and says, there's no prime in you oh my goodness, this is not the life here. Physical recovery is something I'm having to give attention to at my stage and phase of life. January 15th, I met with Dustin's doctor. He became my doctor and he just, we just had a come to Jesus meeting that upset me. I just thought, I know how to come to Jesus and he was making me come to Jesus. And I mean by that, that's like what my mother said when I was acting out or doing something. She, it was like called come to Jesus meeting. And he did, it was just like I had to look at myself in the mirror and I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and I want you to ask yourself this one question, is the pace in which you're living sustainable? And I want you to ask that question in the DNA of this church because we are here and we are in ministry to help leaders and churches that are living an unsustainable life. That's why we exist. We're a resource to churches like Mosaic that come in and help people understand preventative care, not Obamacare, <laughs> but preventative care. And this is preventative care. These three beautiful questions. Are you tired? Are you worn out? And Sabbath is your day just to rest to cease unlike any other day of the week. The second category of life that I want us to look at this morning and dialogue for a few moments is your emotional life. I saw on the screen you're getting ready to have baptism, and I love that. When people really 
make that commitment to Jesus and just kind of, well, I'm a Baptist, you know, and so you kind of go down in the water, right? In that way, I don't know how you do it here. But not everything in our life dies in those waters, come to find out. Childhood wounds. Some of us grew up in homes with fathers that were emotionally absent, workaholics in their generation. Sprinkled father dust on us and called it fatherhood as they went about their life making their money trying to show us life. Maybe that wasn't their intention, but some of us just didn't get what you need. I'm so happy and so proud of you for embracing this foster care, adoptive care, safe policy. But let me tell you something. Some of you as adults need that same care because like some of us were just kind of orphaned and we've just been limping through life. Paul said, put away childish things. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I acted like a child. I played like a child. But then I became a man and I put away childish things. And this is a call in the life of Jesus to become healthy emotionally. I love that. 90% of issues that counselors deal with, and I'm sure in your service this morning, there's some counselors, professional, pastoral, safe people, but 90% of issues that are talked about in counseling offices are rooted in childhood issues. And a church this size, right here in this building with 450 people, do you know the number of women in this room right here, and church is never the exception, that have been violated physically and sexual abuse, touched inappropriately? It's slightly less, it's like one-third. That's a wound. And we bring unresolved issues, unresolved anger. It's just like, what's the deal with your anger? I just want to go to the NFL and I want to say, Have you, has anyone ever sat down with that guy that knocked his wife out and just, what is going on? It's not just physical abuse. Where is that rage? That hormonal masculine rage that has just not been redeemed. It didn't die in the waters of baptism. It's got to be dealt with. Emotional health robs us of spiritual vitality if we're not healthy. It's just like, let me tell you flat out as it is. You can't be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. That doesn't fit. The fruit of the spirit is not anger, rage, and blowing up. The fruit of the spirit are these, love and joy and peace, that shalom. And that's just like when Paul said the fruit of the spirit, there's like, Eight of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I love to talk to men sometimes about where is our gentleness in our fathering? Where is our gentleness in our being husbands? Where's the yellow light here for you? Well, there's lots of areas that I struggle emotionally and when I look back in my past, I did come up, was raised up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was three. 
So I know the pain of that, and I've walked through the insecurity of not having relationships that are most important to me being permanent. So there's just this residual fear in me that relationships aren't permanent. And I think that affects my family, affects my marriage with Natalie, just kind of an underlying uncertainty that this thing we have isn't going to be long-lasting. Long so when I have that fear rise up in me, and, and it does, um, I tend to try to take control. And then I become controlling over my family and my marriage. So I, I'm seeing more now than, than I ever have how my past and the things that are deep-rooted in my soul are affecting the way I behave. And I, I'm connecting that with my spiritual life and the care of my soul and realizing I've got to work through this. Some of us are just being hijacked by our past. The life that we wanted is being hijacked by something that happened. And we're being held hostage. Or the biblical story about Lazarus, who died, the friend of Jesus, and he, Jesus went and got his friend out of the tomb, brought him back to life. He came back to life, but he had all these awful, stinking, smelly grave clothes. And he was alive, but he had grave clothes on. That's the picture of how we come to church. You, you got your FSU shirt on there. You, you look good. You got on a beautiful pink shirt. You look good. But underneath every one of us are stinking, smelly grave clothes. Every one of us. And Jesus said, help Lazarus take his grave clothes off. You call yourself a missional church, and you are. But one thing I'd like to speak into, if you're missional, help each other be free from the wounds of the past and take off these grave clothes of shame and blame and guilt, control all these issues and enter into this life. It's time to recover because you're not going to get another one. This is it. The third area of life that we'd like to talk to you about is our relationships. Because we can't do it alone. We can't take our grave clothes off alone. I remember having breakfast with Dustin in a little log cabin restaurant we were having. I remember, you know, I'm just this kind of guy. We were having huevos rancheros. I remember those things. And they were really good. <laughs> That's part of my wound, isn't it? And. Um, <laughs> So we were sitting there and Dustin was just talking to me about some stuff going on in his life and I just thought, God, just impress me. Tell Dustin, Dustin, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And when I said that to Dustin, it's just like I saw moisture and tears well up in his eyes just to say, in our friendship, in our relationship, the Bible says two are better than one. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 4, 9. The Bible says, are we our brother's keeper? Absolutely we are. Over 50 times in the New Testament here, we're told about the one another's, love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, lift one another up, exhort one another, encourage one another, confess to one another. It's just like, well, you're a missional church. You believe the Great Commission that's mentioned one time in the Bible. 
50 times the one another's. So living out of relationships is so important. And when we come to big churches, this is the great threat and where many, many large churches like Mosaic are extremely vulnerable, that you come into this service and you just feel like you're by yourself. I'm alone. I'm lonely at home. I come to church, I'm lonely. Did you know that loneliness is just as dangerous to your health, to your physical health as not exercising, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and being an alcoholic. That social connectedness, social well-being is the number one predictor of survival. In research that's done over 300,000 people, if we're connected, it's a way God has made us. We need each other. And maybe the, the light is kind of going on here of just realizing that you've been pressing so hard You've been making money, you've been storing it up, you're doing this, you're giving, all of this, but is there anyone to share life with? And let me tell you what I've learned at my stage of life. The number one qualifier of a healthy relationship is this, and it's only this. It's not, do you meet for breakfast? Do you ask each other questions? That's not it. The number one quality of a healthy life-giving relationship is, is it reciprocal? And if a relationship isn't reciprocal, it's work. Like if you manage people, that's a different kind of relationship, but reciprocal is exchanging, letting him ask me questions, me asking him questions. Sometimes I just talk to people as if, gosh, we're all just such a bunch of narcissists, just talking about our stories, talking about our life, where we've been. But the person that can turn around and say, in you, you tell me your story, I'll tell you mine. You bring the bread, I'll bring the wine. I love that line in a David Wilcox song. Storytelling of what's going on about relationships. So Dustin, where, what are you learning here? Well, I'm just realizing that for me, being in my mid-30s, I've kind of entered a season where I, I do have a sense of being alone more than ever because in my earlier years, I had my buddies. I was in training with them. I was, we were pursuing our life dreams together and dating you know, at the same time and, and doing stuff. And so that camaraderie, that, that shared purpose and where we're headed in life was, was right there. But here we are now with fulfilling our dreams, living our careers, in our families and it's so easy to, to get alone. And so I'm just seeing now how I need guys like Steve who have gone before me. I need peers that I can pull in alongside me. And yes, I might be part of a missional community or a small group and I'm part of the community. I'm around people, but like you're saying, you know, is there that give and take? Is it a mutual relationship of I care for you and I wanna know what's going on in your life and you're asking me the same thing. So I'm having to work at it, Steve. I'm having to Well, I'm relationships are work, and yeah. that's part of our intentionality and in our friendship and our relationship, this 25-year gap between us. It's just to be vulnerable, to be open, to give each other access. It's like the heart has four quadrants, that first one where we're all safe, you know, hey, he's got a black shirt on, he's got a check shirt. That's just knowing each other at the surface. The second quadrant is, you know a little bit about his wife, Natalie, my wife, Gwen, my four men children, your three cookie crumb snatcher children. 
Um, we know about the third quadrant, it's kind of what you, you know, you tell your closest of friends, but that fourth quadrant, oh my goodness. And see, that's where we get trapped. Who knows the fourth quadrant? That stuff where lust resides, covetousness. And this is how it works with me and Dustin. One day I was driving in Colorado. It had just happened. This was like second week of June. We finally had our last frost. Okay, that's what we live. We're at 9,000 feet. And I was driving down to Colorado Springs, a beautiful between all of the canyons. And, and I just pulled, looked over at the side of the road. There was a red convertible for sale. I just thought, wow, that's, that's cool. I like that. Second day, the very next day, Gwen was out of town. That should have been a signal. <laughs> and uh, she was flying in on Thursday. And so the second day as I'm driving down through that canyon, the red convertible's still there. The top was down this time. And I pull over. The third day, I'm driving down the canyon. The next day, I'm test driving it. And I'm thinking, you know, Gwen, she has beautiful blonde hair. She's going to look good with that hair just flowing all down. And I can see my health with a cap on, and we'll just turn the heat on. I mean, convertibles in Colorado sometimes don't work. But I came, and I had lunch with Dustin. I said, let me tell you what I'm thinking. This is just over lunch. We were having, like, sushi, but it became a soul lunch. I'm thinking of buying a red convertible. And rather than Dustin saying, oh, cool, let me go with you. He said, what do you think that's up? Uh, what's up with that? And I did want to slug him. <laughs> I did. But Jesus held my hand back. And I just said, I don't know, what do you think it's up with? Have you ever heard me talk about red convertible? No, I never heard you even mention you wanted one. Why do you think I want one? And it just became this beautiful conversation, this beautiful window for him to enter my soul to say, what is my heart screaming for? And out of that came after an hour of just talking in several California rolls. <laughs> I told Dustin, finally, he said, Steve, let me tell you what I'm hearing. It sounds as if you're feeling cooped up. Oh, my word. And when he said cooped up, it just like, that's exactly. See, I couldn't get to that. In relationships, a good question, a good question asked is like having an ice pick come at the glacier inside your chest. And somebody's just chipping away, trying to free your heart. And you freed my heart. 25-year difference, he freed my heart. And giving... Oh my goodness, see, the key to that conversation is we just had time to this foreign word, linger. See, we lingered, him asking this way. And now, see, that's what's wrong with our culture. We are more shaped by culture than the Spirit of God because we can't linger. We can't just sit. And just allow the heart, just kind of like if I put your Florida sand in this bottle of water and shook it up, it just would need time for all of that sediment to get to the bottle. And see, that's what the deal in our busyness, in our fifth gear, we have stripped second, third, and fourth in our soul. It's only get her done. 
and then try to call that the abundant life. It's just like, like so not the abundant life. The fourth aspect that I want to talk to you about is your vocational life. Letting you experience this sense of fulfillment and this is why you were made. Like what if that cello player, I mean, what if his mama had given him a flute? No. And her parenting of him, of that guy right there, it's just like, oh my goodness, you understand the resonance. Here's like a great big violin. I don't know how it happened. But somebody just begins to talk to us about what we should do with our life. Vocational satisfaction sometimes is like trying on clothes and what fits, what's really you. That place of deep gladness. This is why God made me. Gwen, my wife, was raised in Ethiopia. She is a third culture kid. She was born and raised there, and, and uh, she lived on a little mission compound right where the best coffee in Ethiopia is made, in Yirgachefi. And uh, her mom, as a missionary woman, made Gwen a little nurse's outfit, and Gwen stood on a soapbox and watched doctors take out organs of Ethiopians, and she just would stand there and just kind of, as a little six-year-old girl, seven, my wife is a registered nurse today. Hints and clues God has given us way back in childhood. If you pay attention to how he designed you. We have four men children. One of them is in special forces deployed. And when he was about 18 years old, we were out hiking in the beautiful mountains of Colorado. And he said, Dad, I know why God made me. See, I sit with this question a lot with men in their 40s and 30s and who are just saying, I, I'm trying to find my place. I don't know. But he was sitting at 18, so he just kind of like had me. He said, Jordan, why did God make you? He said, God made me to be a soldier. Now, this was in the height of the Iraqi-Afghanistan mess, and I just thought, the God I know wouldn't make you into a soldier. Be a physical trainer. Open a gym. No, no, God made me to be a soldier, Dad. And uh, I, Gwen and I flew over to his commissioning as a special forces where the general handed him this unbelievable, personally engraved knife that every special soldier person gets and gave it to Jordan, and the general came to me and said, your son is the most highly skilled warrior in the world. And I went up to Jordan as soon as he got that knife, and I just hugged him and I said, Jordan, do you know when you were 18, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, do you remember on that trail you said, I know why God made me? Dad, I know. I'm living it. And you? See, this is as much of a church question as planting churches. Sometimes we just think these are not spiritual questions. Asking yourselves physical questions, emotional questions, relational questions, and now vocational questions, that's as spiritual as it gets. Oh, 
It's like, it's all spiritual. These things are not in silos. And some of us need to recover and realize, why did God make you? What do you want to do with your one wild and extraordinary life? Dustin, you started out wearing the scarf and the goggles of a pilot, flying high. Now you're learning to be a physician of the soul. Why? Yeah, from, from the time I was eight years old until I was 35, is all I thought about and dreamed of was flying airplanes. But during those years, especially the latter few of those years, I knew within me was more than just operating a machine. And that's frankly what it is. And I just had a sense that, God, there's more in me that you're making and developing that I can't ignore anymore. And I remember sitting with Steve a few years ago and him saying to me, Dustin, you're 35 years old. What if you took the next five years of your life and you invested them in yourself, in developing yourself, that other quadrant of your soul that God is stirring in you that someday when you're 40, there's no telling how he could use it. So here I am saying, God, all right, I'll take my hands off the yoke and show me. Who, who have you made me to be? A piece of this for Dustin is so interesting because he, he also was trained to be a mechanic and flying through Alaska, highly, you know, a lot of attention given to the mechanics and checking out for safety. And it's just interesting that God uses that interest and that aptitude now to help you know the mechanics of the human soul, lifting up the hood of people, the way you've done here this weekend. It's just interesting. And you, are you in your sweet spot? And what would it look like? What would your sweet spot look like, feel like, smell like? What would it mean? I love that sweet spot word. It's just like, okay, that's fulfillment. That's service. Giving your gladness, that place that makes you fully alive. An old church father said like in 200 AD after Jesus, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. And if you're not fully alive, your glory is diminished. What makes you come alive is a church soul discipleship question. Mm. The last thing, an area of life that I want to mention to you and us dialogue about is in your life as a steward. First, your physical life then your emotional life, your relational life, your vocational life, and all of these are spiritual. There's not just like a you and Jesus thumb. It's like, it, it, that goes in every one of these. That's why there's, there's really, the spiritual life is the whole of life. But your stewardship life is caring for this. And this is my great concern at the speed of life that you're living. Is it sustainable? What place does Sabbath keeping have in your life? And there's some books on the book table that can help you and equip you with a study guide already built in. 
get one or two of those and just say, let's read this together. That one's called Soul Custody. It's red. Or the Jesus Life is kind of a bunch of mosaic-like colors on it, helping you understand eight ways of how Jesus lived his life as a, as a model for you to live yours. Stewarding your life is about really, that word means management. And the soul has to be cared for. A plane that's put on autopilot can go as long as there's fuel. But there is no autopilot button for the human soul. No 40-year-old man has an autopilot and just say, I'm just going, going, going. 110%, 110%. No. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And sometimes it's like imagining an oil stick. Like you check the dipstick of your car, you pull it out. We don't even do that now. At gasoline stations, it's like those guys have gone away. They're the age of the dinosaur. We're expected to do that. And some of us, we don't even do it. We're just trusting or falsely thinking it'll get me there. You can blow engines and cars and you blow your soul too. Leaders blow souls. Pastors blow their souls every single day. So do business executives. I mentor a bank of executive guy. He's vice president. And I just will tell you the bank. I think it's just interesting. It's Bank of America. And uh, the former CEO sent every vice president a plaque that these guys were supposed to, and women are supposed to put on their credenza. And this is what it says. It's a gold frame. When I walked into his office, I said, oh, that must be from President Obama. Gold frame, gold lining around it. But this is what it said. I just want to read it. From the CEO of the Bank of America. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows that it must outrun, it must run faster than the fastest lion or be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows that it must outrun the slowest gazelle or starve. It doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. Signed the CEO. I've read that to some marketplace leaders and they say, I like that, can I have a copy? <laughs> and I wanna say, I wanna talk about your like, cause something's <laughs> twisted. <laughs> you ain't a lion. You ain't a gazelle. You're not a machine. That's breathless living. And calling that the abundant life? Oh my goodness. The wheels of the bus have come off. So stewardship of the soul is understanding these beautiful words of David when he said in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all five of these, all that is within me, bless his holy name. David said, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. And I love that. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. It's like no, no division, integrated, holistic living. That's a Jesus concept. That's not a new age concept. To live whole, undivided, without all these silos, without spinning the plates and that type of thing. 
giving up the myth of trying to live a balanced life. The word balance appears nowhere in this book, nowhere. So why are we so addicted to trying to do it? It doesn't work. We're to live a life in rhythm with Sabbath, engaging and learning to disengage. All these people working in this church, I've just walked up to their face and say, when are you disengaging? You were here last night. You're not having a weekend. No, I haven't had a weekend in three weeks. It's just like my yellow light went on. I'm just going to tell you my yellow light is on. It's just like, wow, let's pay attention because you're not gazelles. Young men grow weary and faint. The Jesus life is finishing well and finishing strong. Come live it with me. Come live it with me. That's the invitation. Let's not feel out of sync or like we're living in different time zones. Let's learn to embrace rhythm, this beautiful concept of what that means. And finally, David said in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let me just unpack it in closing. That's not a verse about heaven or to be read over caskets at the funeral. When he said and wrote Psalm 23, he was a younger man and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so I just wanna bless you this morning that the goodness of God will follow you. And the mercy of God will follow you in your parenting and your taking care of parents. And the goodness of mercy, will t- you'll take the goodness and mercy that God's heart is extending to you by these great three questions to say, those are verses of goodness and mercy. So goodness and mercy go with you as you homeschool, go with you into corporate America tomorrow. Goodness and mercy will follow you all, every day of your life. Receive that blessing because it's from God. And that's the life that Renault was describing. And that's the life of these really, really learning about these five areas that I've talked to you about this morning. It's just like this is the most intriguing passage of Scripture. You would do well to write this down. And in this version, this is from the message to write this down and live with it and just let it be a conversation. How am I doing here? How am I doing? You are a great, attentive group. I can see why Renault loves you. It's just like you really pay attention and I really appreciate it. If you will give attention to what I've told you, you will nourish, you will foster, goodness and mercy, it's ours. We'd be fools, we'd be crazy. We've been bamboozled, folks, by living in a Bank of America world. That's not the world of Jesus. Let's pray. We have been bamboozled We have been hoodwinked by our culture, by false prophets, 
who tell us that life is about doing it more and doing it harder. We need, O oh Lord, to come to our senses. Like the prodigal that you told us about, we have wallowed in the pigsty and as of yet have not come to our senses. Can we come to our senses and run to your arms? And to the arms of our dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Help us, O oh Lord. Awaken us to this life before it's too late. And then we die on a deathbed of regrets and have missed the invitation to really live and to live well. May you bless us as we change the trajectory of our life. May you bless us as we stand up now and linger in these closing moments of worship and come into your arms the safety and the security and the blessing to be received by you. Nobody receives us. We're out there performing to be received. But you said, lay down your efforts to perform. Life is not about performing. It's about living in the Jesus way, to live the Jesus life with the Jesus truth. Oh Jesus, we do not pray in the name of a church because we've even messed that up. We don't pray in the name of a country because the American dream has become an elixir for us to soften us from the truth of your word. We lay down our efforts so that you will rise up within us to live the life that we cannot live on our own. In the name of Jesus, I ask this for all my friends here. Only his name, only his truth, and only his life Amen. Amen. Let it be.